Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. It's another bonus episode week, so I've got a bit of extra conversation from an episode that was released back in March 2008 with the co-host of How To Wrestling, Joanna Grant. Along the way, we discuss accessibility in wrestling commentary, the stress of injury or death spanning both pro wrestling and primetime network drama, and the terror of a poison run. We join this conversation already in progress. So we've talked about you being a full-time podcaster now. You're an entire household of full-time podcasters now. That's correct, yeah. Me and Kevin both doing it full-time, which is really nice because we get to spend a lot of time together. Doing a lot of work down in those podcasting mines, chipping entertainment out of the raw firmament. Yes, desperately mining for content. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say, I mean, because like, you've got How To Wrestling and Kevin does Attitude Era and cinema scroll sometimes too if sam's available right yes yes sam lives quite far away and as we don't drive in our household because we're podcasters we <laughs> find it hard to see sam sometimes because it's quite a ways to go via public transport it's a real shame yeah so i was gonna say do you have any i suppose if you could reveal do you have any plans for adding more podcasts to your media empire <laughs> We want to. We want to maybe try out doing a couple of like one episode podcasts and sort of seeing which work and which don't and almost like getting a bit more audience participation, I think, in what we do. But that's a while off yet. I think we've still got some stuff we need to work on with the podcasts that are already running. Sure, sure. Like How To Wrestling, we definitely need to get content out more frequently. Thing is, it, it could just be that I'm, you know, like desperate for that content because I love that show. But... <laughs> Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great. I actually wanted to say, uh, the commentary episode that you guys did was really good. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm really happy with that. And I was so worried when we when we were first researching for it. It was such a struggle to kind of think of how on earth we could cover a topic like that on a podcast format. So I'm really glad that, like, because I happen to be doing some accessibility work at my day job. So it kind of quite neatly tied in with all the training I was going on. It was like, oh, actually, I can talk about something quite important with this episode yeah it's great and because yeah i thought the same thing when it was like how to how to commentary and it's just going to be oh hey i think this commentator is good or this commentator yeah. is bad. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like the minute you started to mention it, i went oh okay and then like it's going to sound grandiose to say it but it's like one of those things where you're you're kind of following a track with your thoughts and then you feel a whole cavern off to the side open up and you go oh no. yes maybe i haven't thought about that and maybe i should yeah absolutely yeah and it was really fun as well to actually watch some of the matches without watching them like just listening and seeing how much of it was communicated and it is it's so once you start like watching matches that way it becomes so obvious who's actually good at commentary and who isn't like who's actually doing their job it's something where, and I've talked about it a whole bunch on the show before, it's like this formative thing for me. Three years ago, I went to Japan with my partner who speaks Japanese and I don't. So when we went, I, I was desperate. I'm like, I must see some Japanese wrestling while I'm here. Mm. You know, I've never been to Japan before. 
we have to make it work. I don't think we'll be able to afford an NJPW show, but let's see if like Dragon Gate or something is doing a show. And of course they were. They were doing a show at the Coraquin Hall, which is kind of like their home field. Right. And going to a show, to a promotion I did not know, where I did not speak the language, and there was zero catering to English language in the show or in the tickets or anything. And then sitting fourth row and watching this like legitimately incredible live wrestling was just like this... I have talked at length about it. It was this transformative experience because it was basically like watching theater. Yeah. You know? So I had to interpret everything from how people were acting, how the crowd was reacting around me, which of course, again, Japanese crowds versus American crowds. Yeah. They're much quieter, much politer. And also the crowd was 75% women and kids, which I thought was fantastic. Oh, wow. That's really cool. While it was a dry event, so there was no hooligans, like people just brought in like supermarket bags full of like tins of beer. And were just like quietly having a beer as they watched the show. <laughs> it's like, again, putting out, again, once again, it was, again, some of the best wrestling I've seen in my life. Yeah. You know, that was where I first saw Akira Tozawa before he came to WWE. Oh, wow. And I specifically remember Akira Tozawa because I'm like, oh, it's another guy I don't know. And he's got cool Spider-Man tights that say, pray for Akira Tozawa on the back of them mm. in that Spider-Man PS3 font and a pair of praying hands on, on his butt. And when he came out, he climbed up the ring post and stood on it. And then stood on one foot and pretended like he was going to fall off. What? And I was biting on my hand saying, please, please don't, please don't fall off, Akira Tozawa. I've just met you. I don't want to see you die. <laughs> That's like a massive fear of mine is going to a live wrestling show and seeing someone get injured for real. Mm. I'm so worried about that happening. <laughs> oh, it's funny because in your Jimmy Havoc show that you mentioned, which I have sent to many people because Jimmy Havoc is coming out with the Progress show to take on my local fed, PWA, in April, and I'm very excited. Oh, cool. When you talked about Jimmy coming to Australia and getting injured, it was the Sister Federation in Melbourne, uh, MCW, where that happened. Yes. And I remember like going back to their like their Facebook page and stuff around that time and everyone just being incredibly apologetic and saying like it was just a, a bad break it was just a freak accident that happened yeah totally it was a completely normal thing no one was at fault it was just a bad landing and everything went wrong yeah, yeah. and it was like like watching because the thing is I've now been to enough local shows where my friends and I are recognized people come over and say hi we were like the wrestlers come over and say hi yeah and we were at like the NJPW show and in the line and about eight people came over because my friend Francis has very distinctive hair and glasses and so they went oh it's Francis and her friends hello hi everyone and it was like all the wrestlers from PWA wow so to know that these guys were like part of the same group that worked with MCW and the idea of having an, an accident and an injury happen to an international star at your show it's like ugh yeah no puts, puts my teeth on edge yeah you know? totally makes my stomach feel funny <laughs> even like watching like pay-per-views live again mm. I get so anxious like because I find it so hard to watch any match where you know the wrestler has definitely been injured but I think the not knowing at the time and not even knowing that they end up okay and then them get oh I just ugh couldn't handle it this is a long bow to draw but it's kind of i heard the similar thing being described with when you know a character is gonna die in a show oh god yeah and so you're watching every situation going all right is this it (laughs) is this it and funnily enough i think it's this is us which i have not watched but i heard my friend margaret wilson yelling about had a show where it's like they've been teasing how the father is gonna die because they flash back and forth between back in the day and now Mm. and they're like and now the father died and everyone's you know bothered by this tragic death and they're finally like okay we're gonna reveal it this show 
and they have it be like a house fire from an appliance. Right. And they're like, oh, everyone's like, that's how it's going to happen. But then he gets out of the house fire, <laughs> and then he runs back in for the kids, and like, oh, this is going to be how it happens. And then he comes back out with the kids, and he runs back in for the dog. Oh, man. And then he's and fine, like, and he rescues right. the dog, and he just has smoke inhalation, and he dies and then, ten years later. And by then, it's like the end of Return of the King. You're like, okay, all right, we're done. Can, <laughs> can, he's going to die. Okay, can he die, please? In the end, you're just but, happy he's dead. Like, thank God this anxiety <laughs> madness is over. Damn it, Peter from Heroes, just die already. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And coming back to that Dragon Gate show, my partner Kimiko had seen wrestling on tv and she had been to one wwe live event with me and sat in like the second balcony but being fourth row and watching someone who was familiar but not a fan of wrestling watching someone like bxb hulk kick somebody in the head mm. and hearing the noise that it makes oh, dear. and watching her like jump every single time it happens and like put her hands over her mouth <laughs> and make a little shriek because he does a particular kick where it's kind of like a roundhouse kick mm. and then he turns and does a little loop and like slaps the top of his foot directly down on top of someone's head oh. like it's, it's a kick i haven't seen anywhere else but it makes a noise unlike any other yeah. and it sounds like they've just been hit with a frying pan yeah it makes such a difference when you can hear those awful sick noises it's gross but awesome well i mean you yeah you've been to to uk shows so you know the sound of when someone gets a chop, yeah. and oh, I'll wait till this plane goes over because I want to approximate this noise correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those mornings, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, so you've been to a show live where you've, you've felt a chop, and you hear you see someone get chopped, and you hear like their diaphragm hit their back. Ugh. That sound. Yeah, we went to a Ugh. show not that long ago where I don't think the guy was injured, but he was hurt, where he basically he fell over. It was like... the very start of the show very first match like the opening match and literally within like 30 seconds like the first move he fell over the top rope backwards and landed wrong mm -hmm. and that was uh -oh. it match over they had to then wait until like the next match could be brought on and everything and that was like so scary <laughs> but at least we knew immediately they were like no he is fine he just he can't keep doing this match but like the thought of being like uh sorry guys uh we don't know and then they're being like ambulances oh man Ugh. that's the worst the thing is, they've now gotten to the thing is, this is something I'm trying to, to parse as I continue to see, like, local wrestling shows and, like, be front row for stuff versus, you know, being in the first balcony to watch NJPW or WWE Live or NXT. And now it's to the point where when I go to a bigger show, I have to remind myself that I'm not watching TV. Yes. Yeah, it's like that first couple of matches, like, it's hard to get engaged until you get a really great match that kind of pulls you into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, comparing it to like a show where you get someone who will land at your feet mm. or you know in one case we saw uh, Robbie Eagles who's the local champion you know and he's the one they usually pick to go against you know Will Ospreay or Zack Sabre Jr. or Ricochet when they come down because he's he's he can basically hang at that level wow. and he takes on Caveman Ugg who is one of my favorites because he um, is you know a silly caveman character but he's also like legitimately scary strong and very, very talented and very fast for such a big man. Like, he'll do, like, running up the turnbuckle moonsaults right. and, like, you know, suicide dives and stuff on a guy who's, you know, 130 kilos. Right. And also has, like, a beard halfway down his chest <laughs> and, like, massive stringy hair and is built like he's been hammered out of rocks. Oh, God, right. At one point... Oh, come on, guys, <laughs> I'm telling the story. Uh, and because when we first saw him, he was a comedy character. And he would do, like, 
you know, these funny matches where, you know, your, your shitty heel would get beat up by the big silly caveman. Mm. Then they put him up against people like Jonah Rock, who is fantastic. And then they put him up against Robbie Eagles and watching this, like this huge man, like sort of absorb all the attacks of this small flippy dude. At one point, Robbie does a poison rana, which is a hurricane runner from behind where he spiked their head on the way down. What? Yeah, it's it's like like sick, scary, dangerous. Oh god! When you see two small people do it, when you see Robbie do it to a big man, yeah. and he goes over and he doesn't go all the way over oh. and ends up spiking his head no. and ending up basically doing a headstand and then letting his legs fall over and he's in this sort of folded shape like a folding chair, right. and Robbie is just laying on his stomach with his legs still around this guy's head as it's landed, oh. and literally no one cheered because everyone thought the move had gone wrong. That's yeah. Everyone thought. Like, I've just watched a man die. Then they sort of sat there for a minute, and then you see Ugg kind of move his hands, and they roll over, and you're like, okay, everyone's fine. But there was, like, a legitimate heart-stopping moment. Yeah. I don't... Where everyone just kind of went... <gasps> yeah, I don't find that fun. <laughs> no, and we went up to them, because, again, it's a local show, so we just went up to Robbie afterwards, and I said... I pulled him aside, I'm like, mate, that fucking poison runner, what were you thinking? Oh. And he said... It was not my idea, it was his idea. And he said, I can take it, we practiced it twice, he said I can handle it, and he's like, and for a second when he landed, I was really worried. I thought it had gone wrong, then I saw he was okay, and I'm like, okay, I guess we're gonna go with this. (laughs) But ugh. Yeah, it just gives me anxiety. I just, uh, heart palpitations. (laughs) I can't (laughs) handle it, I'm a delicate baby. You're a hothouse flower. (laughs) Yeah, I need to be protected. It was really comforting when after we did the Jimmy Havoc episode, and because I I hate bleeding like blading and stuff. Like I've mentioned it before Same. on the podcast, yeah. it makes me so bleh, makes me feel icky. And then having to watch the death matches with like, Jimmy Havoc, and then afterwards he tweets them all lines of like, you know, we enjoy it, it's fine. And that was like so comforting to hear that they find it fun. Or at least to, like, to a level where they're like, okay, you know, this is going to suck, but not, like, I think you actually mentioned it in the show where it's, like, not so much as, for example, getting kicked by Zack Sabre Jr. Yes. Oh, my God. Which, I mean, I can understand that to an extent. But all of it is, like, just, yeah, still quite icky. I admire their talents, but, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, should we actually start the show proper now? Cool. Cool. 